Proverbs chapter 12, a single verse to get us started. Verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Let's pray together. Once again, Lord, in the second service, we pray that as we would claim Jesus' prayer for us on the night before the cross, that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us from head to toe, but we think most especially this morning of this unruly member that is our tongue and our speech. Thank you that no one has the wisdom that we need, and no one can tell us in quite the way that will get through to us in the way that you do. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us an ability to just commune with you as we study your word to do so from the place of our relationship with you. And we pray and we ask for this work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you're visiting with us today, on Sunday mornings we're in the middle of a series, a topical series through the book of Proverbs, a series entitled Timeless Wisdom. And this morning we want to continue the subject that we Uh, entered into last week, and that is the subject Solomon probably addresses more than any other subject in the book of of Proverbs, and that is uh, the tongue or the use of our words or the use of our speech. Last week, we examined what Solomon had to say about the power of our words, and it's almost as if he anticipates that anyone that stops and thinks about the power of our words for good, for evil, for good, for bad, that our very next question uh, that would arise in our hearts is uh, a longing for insight concerning, okay, Solomon, Okay, Holy Spirit, what are words that harm, speech that harms, what what is speech that helps uh, in order that we can use this powerful privilege that you've given us uh, of speech in in the way that we want to and certainly the way that you want to. And so this morning we will make our lone focus here, speech that harms will save uh, the theme of speech that heals for next week. I would guess that most of us have uh, either heard and probably a good portion of us have said it in the course of our lifetime. Uh, Maybe when we were in elementary school or some other kind of context young in our life, spoken the old children's uh, rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's interesting that that little um, saying Uh, was actually brought into being in order to provide children uh, with a retort against, a defense against, um, cruel speech being directed toward them, or mean speech, some means by which to uh, fend it off in in some some kind of of a way. And it's certainly, uh, as an adage, it's very, very commendable in that regard. But we also have to admit that it's one of the greatest lies that has ever been put to rhyme. And the words of cruel, uh, harmful speech directed against us uh, produces a harm and a hurt in our lives that uh, into the mind, into the heart that goes way beyond the harm that can be done uh, to us physically. 
long after uh, bones have healed or uh, scars or wounds have healed, uh, related to physical abuse, what has been said to us that has done us harm to our minds or to our hearts and our emotions, uh, it can live uh, on for a long, uh, long time. And, uh, and so Solomon uh, gives us instruction in this, uh, this area. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, how the wounds can be healed, how they can be forgotten, how we can govern our own speech. Now at the time that Solomon wrote these Proverbs, the wisdom that we're going to read this morning would have been normative in the culture. Uh, virtually every child within the culture would have been raised under this wisdom related to the use of speech. They would have been raised from it uh, from the moment of birth all the way into adult life. Added to that is that they would have also encountered within the culture itself a reinforcement of these truths related to the use of uh, speech. And so Solomon uh, writes at a time when these things would have been the standard of both the individual and also of the culture and the nation. But that's not true of the world that we live in. It's no longer even true of the nation that we live in, meaning that there are no longer, uh, people are no longer having this wisdom built into their lives uh, at any point in their life. Uh, necessarily much less from the earliest uh, and most formative times of their life in childhood. And, uh, and it's certainly not being reinforced by the culture uh, around us. And so more and more people never come into contact with the wisdom that is taught here, uh, much less having it uh, be ingrained into our culture and then actually govern our our speech. And so uh, if we learn these truths more, uh, more often than not today in a secular culture, if we learn them at all, we learn them in the school of hard knocks. And so this makes the study of wisdom found in the book of Proverbs more important uh, than ever. And even to those of us who are familiar uh, with the book of Proverbs, the wisdom that's found in it, the wisdom that we'll look at uh, here uh, today, because uh, as it's increasingly uh, absent within the culture, uh, then we find ourselves turning someplace for reinforcement for what we know to be true, to hear it from some uh, lips, even the lips of the pages of Scripture. And since we don't hear it in the culture, we turn to the book of Proverbs for us to realize, no, we see it, we're healthy, we're doing the right uh, thing here, and it's reinforced in our lives. And I think this is why so many Christians uh, read a chapter of Proverbs a day uh, each month as a part of their devotional life. There being 31 uh, chapters in the book of Proverbs just to continually have the truth of the book of Proverbs reinforced into our lives. And so we want to continue Solomon's instruction on how to use uh, the privilege of speech 
uh, responsibly by examining his insights into uh, speech that harms. And each of us should be prepared to have our toes stepped on uh, this morning. Speech that harms and thus is to be avoided on our part. We begin here with the psalm that we've, or the proverb that we've read, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Once again, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Now, that's a word picture for you, isn't it? There is one who speaks like the piercing, an active, stabbing, violent uh, sword. But the tongue of the wise promotes health. So again, here we have the reminder of the capacity uh, of speech uh, for, to accomplish good, but also for it to accomplish uh, in, uh, great uh, destruction. For our purposes this morning, we'll, in terms of speech that harms, we'll look at the person whose words are likened to uh, sword thrusts. When the, the imagery that Solomon uses here is very graphic, and uh, in fact, it's, it's shocking, and even more than shocking, uh, in the ancient world, it would have been absolutely horrifying language, and he doesn't use it as hyperbole and in order to drive home uh, the destructive potential of our words. Now today, I don't know, I don't know the last time you saw a sword. Uh, uh, today you have to go to a museum, you go to Windsor Castle or something like that, and you walk into these rooms and they've got swords displayed as, uh, as art on the walls and engraved and historical implications related to all of them. Very few people have a sword in their house uh, uh, anymore, or you have to go online to see a sword. So you think about when's the last time you saw a sword? And then add to that, when is the last time you saw a sword in action, in battle, in all of its deadly thrusting, in all of its uh, violence? And that's the audience that's, that Solomon was speaking to. Uh, this was the weapon of the day. This was the weapon of warfare. And to watch a sword in action uh, in battle was an awesome uh, thing to see in terms of destruction. And here Solomon describes the person who deliberately uses their tongue as a weapon against others. They're intent upon hurting, uh, harming another person. But also to the person who every time uh, they open up their mouth, they wound people. Uh, they wound the feelings of people. Uh, they wound their minds of other people by lodging into their uh, minds things that will be uh, damaging, doing damage that will live long in a person's emotions and in their thinking, and then robbing them of their humanity, of any kind of needed faith or hope or self-confidence or self-respect in life. The words are used to uh, destroy those in a person's life. Things that we need in our lives and things that are a part of our lives by God, uh, even uh, apart from being a Christian by virtue of being created in the image of God. 
Uh, This warning also includes people who are hasty and reckless with their words. They're unthinking or uncaring in the use of their words. For some people, being unthinking and uncaring about the impact of their words is a source of pride. Sometimes you'll hear a person say, uh, I just tell it like it is. And, uh, but when we're speaking to these, speaking to people, again, eternal human beings with feelings, more thought needs to go into what we say than that, as we'll see in a little bit uh, later. I have found, and I've known a number of people through the years that uh, have made use of that phrase. Um, I just tell it like it is. And uh, when, I, when I think back uh, to uh, what came out of the mouths of a person um, who uh, deflected treating their speech with responsibility behind that kind of a slogan, I realize that rarely does such a person who lives by that maxim Rarely did I ever hear them, if ever, say anything helpful. All they ever said was something uh, that was uh, harmful. Almost never anything helpful in life. It's like the person who boasts in, uh, in the fact that uh, they give everyone a piece of their mind. While everybody that's standing uh, within earshot is thinking, you shouldn't do that. You can't spare the loss. And, uh, and this idea of just saying anything and everything that comes into our, our minds, a rashness about it. But here at the very least, Solomon instructs us that we are never to use our words, never to use the capacity and the privilege of speech to deliberately harm another person. Now, we will fall short of that in our lives. We will inadvertently say things that hurt people, hurt their heart, hurt their mind, but it should never ever uh, be something that we do uh, deliberately. Now, it is true that the scriptures speak about God's word uh, likens it to a sword. Uh, It's referred to as the sword of the spirit in the context of spiritual warfare. In the book of Hebrews, it's likened to a sharp two-edged sword. And so the Word of God does its needed work as we face spiritual warfare in our lives and, and in its work of sanctification in our lives. But God's Word uh, always works redemptively in our lives. It's never intended to do harm, and it never does do harm. Uh, in our our lives and in its influence in our lives. It's never, ever destructive. Even when God's Word exposes our sin or it exposes our hypocrisy or when it warns me or when it rebukes me. And here Solomon is addressing using words to needlessly wound. And uh, there is a redemptive wound Uh, in life, but he's not talking about that. It doesn't preclude saying the hard thing that needs to be said to another person for their own good 
even though we know it will hurt them to hear that. That's not what Solomon is talking about here. As we'll see later in our series, Solomon declares faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Solomon has more to say about reckless speech or rash speech. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 29, uh, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. By the Holy Spirit, Solomon writes, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And what Solomon is communicating here is really startling as we stop and and understand what it is that he's saying because we recognize it to be true. What he communicates is there's more hope for a fool in life to live a quality life than for a man who is hasty in his words to live a quality life. Now that's, that's heavy. Uh, that is a, 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 a heavy thing because it's true. There's more hope for a fool to live a quality life than the man uh, who is hasty with his words. Such a person will do more damage and bring more problems upon themselves than even the fool can in life. And this includes speaking without thinking, uh, engaging in this very, very powerful activity called speech without thinking about what it is that I am going to say. Where we, what we say, uh, we say purely on the basis of our emotions. We would call it in our culture having an emotional outburst. Now, there's some people, uh, they never have an emotional outburst simply because they have virtually no emotions. So they're like Spock in the old Star Trek television series. And they've got, uh, and they can sit smugly at this point in the sermon. And, uh, but that kind of an emotional makeup has its own problems. But this is not one of uh, uh, the problems that that kind of person faces. But um, the further a person is up the emotional scale in terms of our lives, all the way to highly emotional, our first natural reaction to almost anything is going to be emotional as opposed to thoughtful or measured. And if we recognize ourselves to be one of those people, then uh, all of the more is our need to learn to stop and to think before we speak. When I was growing up as a boy, it was very common for a parent uh, to say, Uh, to a child, a relative to say to a child, a neighbor to say to a child, or uh, certainly a teacher to say to a child, uh, think before you speak. And they're endeavoring to drive home this point of Solomon into our lives, uh, and the earlier, uh, the better. Think before you speak. I think that most often, Uh, we will ultimately kind of grow out of this kind of hasty speech because sooner or later we will realize the relational toll, uh, the relational uh, uh, price that we pay, the professional price that we pay uh, out of a failure 
to think about what comes out of our mouths and not just to say whatever we feel in the moment that it will cause us by itself to just naturally step back and to learn to slow down in terms of speaking. But all uh, that damage can be minimized by simply asking the Holy Spirit, remind me, Lord, remind me to just stop and think before I speak, and He will do that. So if you sit here today and in the privacy of our own hearts, and you say, man, I mean, I just get just so emotionally engaged in everything as my my first response, and, and no man can heal the tongue, only God can do that, is we say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of, of the pain it brings into my life, but I'm more tired of the pain it brings into other people's lives. Would you help me to, be, to just stop me when I'm about to just continue to follow that pattern in my life? Will you just check me by the Holy Spirit inside of me and make me aware I'm about to do that again so I don't do that? And he'll do it. And he'll, he'll do that. The key is, is that when he tells us, and we're about to go into that place, we've prayed about it. Because we've prayed about it, we're extra alert to this change that needs to happen in our lives. And we recognize when he comes in and we're about to do the same old thing and he goes, ah, 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 ah. Think before you speak. Now the challenge will be, do I listen to him at that moment? There have been most times when the Lord does that in my life, in any area of my life, where I listen to Him and I stop. But sometimes I am so geared up, and whatever it is I'm in the middle of, I'll blow through the stop sign. But there's a price to pay for blowing through stop signs. And if we think it's a, we pay a hard price in a secular culture, it's nothing like blowing through God's stop signs. But little by little, we come to realize the work of the Holy Spirit begins to change us, slow us down, and to begin to think about what it is that we're going to say and the impact of what we're uh, going uh, to say. And uh, just embracing this proverb alone can change the whole trajectory of, of a human life. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, uh, but the heart of fools proclaims uh, foolishness. I like the NIV on this verse. Uh, a prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out uh, folly. This proverb certainly warns us against using speech as a means of showing off how much I know, and uh, no one really appreciates being subjected to that. But it also informs us that rash and reckless words also include not uh, only uh, a failure to control our emotions, but a failure to control our minds. And so here is instruction for those of us who have very, very active minds or very, very quick minds. And it reminds us here 
this proverb that not everything we think is worthy of being spoken. Not everything we think is worthy of being spoken. I read a book on John Lennon uh, recently, and of course a considerable portion of the latter part of the book uh, included a description of uh, Yoko Ono, who, uh, if you don't know about her, she, as an artist, possessed, uh, seemed to possess an unshakable confidence that anything, any thought that came into her mind was worthy of being deemed as art and worthy as being presented to the public as art. A classic example of this is found in her contribution to uh, the duet by John Lennon and Chuck Berry on uh, television years ago. They were singing Chuck Berry's uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And so here are these two legends in music uh, speaking one of the most famous songs that Chuck Berry ever sang or, or wrote. And right in the middle of Memphis, Tennessee, in a microphone to the back, all of a sudden you start to hear screaming into the microphone. And to look at Chuck Berry's face in that moment is priceless uh, in, in terms of seeing uh, the video. And, uh, and she comes and she, there's these giants singing, and then she has the mic and she starts screaming, and then she stops, and with a, a, a face that communicated uh, utter satisfaction at what she had added to this performance, uh, again is worth the price of the video and she picks up the bongo drums and begins, uh, begins to play those. And apparently during this live show, a sound technician cut off her mic at some point, causing one commentator to quip, three legends under the same roof that night, Chuck, John, and the sound engineer who unplugged Yoko's <laughs> microphone. But Yoko's not the only one in this regard. And Yoko aside, it's a foolish person who verbalizes every thought that comes into our minds. And it's a wise person who thinks things through and then formulates their thoughts and before speaking. There's a place for external processing or thinking out loud. There's nothing wrong uh, with that. Uh, it should be with a, a a person who's willing to listen to it. It can be a spouse or a family member or a peer or a friend, something like that. And, uh, and to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think out loud here and I want you to see if I have any flaws in my logic here and all. But to make that a lifestyle in terms of the use of our speech, everything is being externally processed in the moment and not being well thought out. Uh, at best, it will wear people out and at worst, because only God can stand to hear everything that comes into our minds, uh, it'll strain and kill uh, just about every relationship in our life. There's a certain kind of person who will start talking and they have no clear sense of where they're going. And they only stop when they have 
not when they've made their point, but when they've run out of words. And Solomon instructs us, if that's us, that this is to be avoided in our lives. Occasionally, I do think out loud with people, but I let them know that's what I'm doing. Uh, I do it frequently with, a, with some of the pastors on staff, and I'll say, there's a decision to be made. And I'll say, let me just tell you how I see this, and then you tell me if you see any flaws in this or something that I, I might be missing, and I'll do that. But I do it with their permission, and they, they know what it is that uh, is going on, and they're patient with me as, uh, as a, a, a result uh, of that. And... Uh, and to receive their perspective afterwards. Generally, it's best to think with our mouths closed, uh, as the old saying goes, and only speak after our thoughts have been well formulated. This proverb also reminds us that sometimes silence is sometimes golden, uh, that the wise person realizes that there are times to speak in life, and there are times to keep silent even if we are very, very well informed on whatever subject is being uh, discussed, and especially if uh, it involves other people and their lives and their, their reputations. And our speech should not only be governed supremely by knowledge, but by whether this is the right time or the right place or the right group of people for me to share what I know uh, in terms of this discussion. And if not, then to keep silent. I would guess that most of us have been part of a group, whether it's at a barbecue or f out in the fellowship hall or any kind of place where there's a, you know, four, five, six people gathered around and somebody brings up a subject, broaches a subject, and, uh, and uh, some part of the group realizes this is not the time or the place. This is inappropriate. And then you'll see people jump in anyway related to it. And then sometimes we can be guilty of doing that. And then we notice in the group there's one or two people who take a pass on the conversation. They will not enter it. And then it dawns on us that they are being very wise and not entering into this conversation, and then we make them our model and back off from entering into the conversation uh, ourselves. We follow their example. It's good instruction for those with quick, active minds, and if you possess such a mind, the greater your need to think before uh, you speak, and that not every conversation uh, should be entered into. I've always liked uh, the, the saying in this regard, um, and, I, and I've used it to exhort myself uh, frequently, if you cannot improve on silence, don't try. Uh, if you cannot improve upon silence, don't try. And for those of us who always think we can improve upon silence, uh, it's a, a good word. Rash and hasty words uh, uh, which do a lot of damage also include speaking before we know the whole story, uh, before we hear both sides of a story. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 13, if you turn to that. Proverbs 18, 13.
He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And we think about what terrible damage is done, not only to our own reputations, but uh, to the reputation of others uh, that we begin to speak about or we begin to act upon a situation where we have failed to investigate uh, that situation thoroughly. We fail to get both sides of the story. We fail to get the whole story. We call this jumping to conclusions in our, in our culture, judging something before we have all of the facts. And Solomon tells us in language that even I can understand, he tells us that it's just plain dumb. And inevitably, it leads to shame and embarrassment when all of the facts ultimately uh, come out. And it's good to be reminded that there are always two sides to every story. There are two sides to every divorce. There are two sides to every conflict in life. There's two sides to every quarrel. There's two sides to everything, etc., etc., etc. And not to agree with a person if you haven't heard the other person's side of the story yet. And physically or mentally, uh, as uh, somebody has suggested, when I'm listening to one side of the story, to put one hand over my other ear. And uh, whether doing it outwardly or doing it inwardly, I do it inwardly. And somebody might say, what are you doing with your hand up by ear? I'm reserving it for the other side of the story. So we're not going to do it physically very much, but we do need to do it inside to realize there's a whole other side uh, to this story. Other Proverbs which speak to the same thing, I'll read it to you, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and then examines him or examines his version of the story. And so we don't have an accurate account or an accurate understanding of any situation Based upon one side of the story, it takes both in order to even begin to understand the situation. Most of us, and perhaps all of us, except for you Spocks, but most of us are highly subjective in how we respond any situation in our lives. And we have a tendency... Uh, to paint ourselves in this situation either by adding words or omitting important facts so that uh, I look better in the, the situation. And even people who try as hard as they can to be objective, uh, there will always still be an element uh, of, of this where we, we present uh, a narrative that makes us look best. And I have found in... Uh, the long years of my life, that most people in putting something together like this is out of a situation is that most people will uh, fabricate a narrative they can live with. They can live with. Accuracy is not the most important thing. It's how can it be revised in such a way that I can live with what I did or I didn't do there. But oftentimes, 
uh, our version will not be able to withstand the pointed questions Solomon says of the other party when they show up and they can poke holes then in our version of, uh, of events. In counseling, so often if you listen to one side of a situation, uh, you can be ready to literally hang the other person in the marriage uh, or the situation. And then they come in and tell their side of the story and you realize how little uh, you actually knew. Another major contributor to a speech that harms is anger. And so we want to turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. And so here Solomon warns those of us who uh, tend to be quick-tempered, Uh, We're impatient with other people. We don't suffer fools gladly, as the old saying goes. uh, and, uh, and, And then carnal anger enters into our conversation and communication with others. Things like, how could you be so stupid? Anybody could see that that was the wrong thing to do or the wrong thing to say. Don't you have any sense? Or you're never going to amount to anything. Or I wish I'd never hired you, or I wish I'd never married you, or I wish I'd never uh, knew you. You fill in the blank, and uh, as these things can be said in anger. And words spoken uh, out of anger will do great harm to other people, and they will always produce shame and resentment in the person that they are aimed at and uh, are directed toward. They're a great offense. They do tremendous damage, even to the strongest and the closest of relationships. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. And so even a person who, after uh, uh, dealing with a person out of this kind of anger, will come to realize very, very quickly damage has been done uh, to this relationship and, uh, and has been done even more importantly to this person. This is why James wrote, James chapter 1, verse 19. I'll read it to you. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Mm, there's a thought. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God brings that that last section of that that passage um, to my remembrance on a regular basis. The wrath of man, carnal wrath, my wrath, does not produce the righteousness of God. God has no use for carnal anger in any kind of a situation that we're in. We will not only will we not help the situation, uh, we will uh, uh, do great harm uh, in, in the situation. The moment I go there, and I, I know from my own experience uh, with the Lord, and I, I move into saying something in, uh, in anger, I know that I will be the one that's in trouble with, with him before this is all over, um, that, that I will have made everything worse in the situation, 
that it will be me who ends up being the one that confesses my sin and asking for forgiveness of the other person before it's all said and done, whatever the sins or the shortcomings of the other person. Whatever those things might be, when I respond in anger, there is a bigger doghouse that God will put me in than any doghouse He's got them in over their flaws or over their, uh, their failures and things that need to be addressed. And that doghouse, you don't get out until things are made right. And carnal anger is often a manifestation of pride. The idea that somehow I should live my life free of the imperfections of others. Uh, or that as if there isn't a world of people who could be angry with us all day, every day in terms of our own imperfections, if they chose to view life in the same way that we do. And each of us are going to have ample, ample, ample reason to respond in anger toward people on a regular basis in this life. Now, people really can be maddening. And thus it's important to heed the word that James uses twice in his exhortation slow. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In other words, slow down when you're angry. Be slow to speak when you're angry. And I have devised what I call a 48-hour rule for myself when someone does something to me or says something, whether it's face-to-face or an email or whatever it might be, and it provokes anger within me. Before I respond, I determine I'm going to take 48 hours and not respond to it until I can see uh, this thing uh, clearly. And so it sits on my heart for 48 hours, and uh, I've had time to pray, and then I've had time to calm down. I've had time to process it now uh, clearly uh, with the Lord. And I know that you're not as carnal as I am, but I think we can all recognize how differently we can view something in an hour. And in a day when we take a step back from it and engaging in it emotionally and step back from it and engage in it in a conversation with God by the Holy uh, Spirit. And, I'm, and this rule in my own life to slow, slow, slow down in these kind of situations um, has made me uh, thankful many, many times I didn't hit the send button right away this letter that I had written to set them straight or made the phone call when I wanted to. Anything that slows us down at such times is helpful. And then finally, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18. Like a madman, okay, that's bad enough. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Wow! It's got all of our attention, right? 
said, this is something to be avoided in life. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Now, now this, is, this isn't as serious in terms of, of it, it being wi- as widespread in terms of, uh, of its presence in, in the human condition in, terms of, uh, in comparison to anger. But this one is very, very important for a certain kind of person to be aware of. And here we have a warning to the practical joker or to the kidder who takes their joking too far. And so they go too far in joking with someone or joking about someone. And their joke occurs at the expense of another person inappropriately. Now, because this kind of practical joking and verbally, because that kind of joking is built on deceit or getting someone to believe something that isn't true, uh, it has the potential to do great damage if a person then uh, believes it and, and, and they are the butt of the joke. They don't know what's, what's going on. They're not in on the joke. Everybody else is in on, on the joke and usually the deception. And then the person that is the butt of the joke uh, uh, then uh, is reacting to whatever's being said as if it's true. And of course, this kind of thing is what makes the joke even funnier to those who are in on the joke. And it, but it produces grave consequences, consequences that will hardly be made uh, better when the practical joker explains afterwards, I was only joking. I was only kidding. So the funny practical joker, the person who is always making us laugh, uh, this per- kind of person provides a welcome distraction in life. We certainly don't want to use this proverb at all uh, uh, to to bring an end to any humor or funny people in life. That would be an awful loss in life. But such a person must always be aware that they're playing with fire if they cross the line. And to make sure a joke is not only funny, but that it's safe for everyone involved. There is a responsibility, Solomon says, associated with possessing a very quick wit, and a very, very uh, quick mind. And unguarded strength, as the old saying goes, and unguarded strength is a double weakness. Uh, Something in our life is a strength up to uh, a point. But if I don't guard that strength, even a sense of humor, if I don't guard that strength and, and, it, and, I, I, and it goes over a line as a result, it becomes a weakness in our life. And I think probably most of us have either witnessed or we've been hurt, hurt by jokes ourselves like this. They cross a line and everybody else is laughing, but we're the butt of the joke. And then that, other, that person or we are left uh, humiliated and demeaned within, within the group. And this proverb is good food for thought. It's very apparent that Solomon's not going to leave any stone unturned related to speech, dealing with big things like anger, but also things uh, uh, such as this. Well, I close with this in, in terms of 
all of this, where we look at the, the speech, and I don't think um, the, the harmful effects of speech or use of speech, um, I doubt that any of us uh, got out um, unscathed on some level. Where we look at the use of our speech, either in um, the recent past or longer past, and we don't look and um, regret especially under the light of the scriptures, uh, something that we have said of something that we've looked at here today. And so the question becomes, what do I do when I have done these things in these relationships in my life? What do I do now in, uh, with regard to our speech uh, and my speech to others that has fallen short? Um, in the lives of others, and it's done harm. And all of us do that. Again, as we saw last week, James said, for we all stumble in, stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Well, when we use our speech to sin against God or to harm others, whether, as we've seen here this morning, in using my speech to deliberately wound people, by making haste, uh, speaking hastily and without thinking, uh, to speak in the emotion of the moment, jumping to conclusions and beginning to talk after hearing only one side of the story, or something that we've said in anger or going too far and making fun of, of someone else. And I need to handle it as I would any other sin. And that is when I become aware of it, and so... And so some of us might just be coming aware of certain things here today in the light of the word and become aware of it and immediately confess it as sin to God. God, I, I have sinned quite apart from people. I have sinned against you as your child, as your representative in this world. I have sinned against you and I ask for your forgiveness I confess it as sin. I repent. I do not want this to continue to mark my life or control my life. I have a change of mind about this area uh, of, of my life. And uh, I confess my sin with that Holy Spirit determination uh, not to do it again. And then I need to confess my sin to significant others that I have sinned against and to ask for their forgiveness. Go to the person that I have harmed with my words, whether spoken to their face or coming around to them that were harmful from, uh, uh, around the, uh, from, from the side and to ask for their forgiveness. To say, I am sorry for what I said here. Uh, I confess it is sin that I committed against you and I ask you to forgive me. And not only do it to the person that I actually spoke to, but then to do that related to significant others that I sinned against who were witnesses of what it is that I did. Maybe the kids in the house or other relatives or co-workers uh, at work, or other students at, at school. And it's humbling to do it, but it's a humbling that we need in order to bring our speech under control. And no one will ever esteem a person more poorly 
for having confessed their sin, admitted it, and then asked for forgiveness. Uh, They will respect it. And what will make people view us poorly and lose respect for us is if we refuse to take responsibility for our sin by doing this hard thing. They say that time heals all wounds. It helps, but it doesn't heal any wound, uh, much less all wounds. The single greatest way that we can bring healing to a relationship that we have damaged or a situation that we have damaged in this way is not to ignore it and hope everybody forgets about it. That's the cowardly way. And I got a big old coward inside of me that wants to skip that. But to take responsibility for my words, confess the sin, repent, and ask for forgiveness. And it does something priceless in the other person because it provides them what they need in order to extend forgiveness to us. It also provides a means for them to heal the damage of what it is that we said to them. And it goes a long way toward their healing and then for them to move forward in their relationship with us and in their view of us. And I am the only one who can provide that to them. It cannot come from another mouth or another source. I'm the only one who can bring that healing and restoration into their life. But it doesn't just do something immeasurably good for the other person. It does something immeasurably good in us when we do so. It humbles us, and that's always good. And, and it's most important, this humbling uh, in, in our lives is we're careless in our speech. And so it makes us, as we confess our sin, ask for forgiveness of, uh, of our sin, it makes us right in our relationship with God again. And we have that confidence that uh, we have given Him now our obedience in the situation to now work with to undo the damage of what it is that that I have done in bringing healing to the other person. But it also provides an invaluable deterrent in our lives uh, concerning our speech. If we determine and we just stop at a moment in time in our Christian lives and just determine to ask forgiveness of our spouse or a friend or a child or a co-worker or anyone that when we sinned against them, that this is what we will do. We will confess that sin and ask them for forgiveness. And one of the wonderful things that it does is it makes us aware immediately of how often we use our speech to harm. Because we will notice immediately how often we are having to do this in other people's lives. And then second, on a fleshly level, it isn't a pleasant experience for us. And thus realizing there are consequences 
to my words and what I speak, realizing that if I go off as I'm prone to related to my speech, I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to repent. I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to experience estrangement in my relationship with God. And, I'm going to, uh, and it's going to bring estrangement in my relationship with this person. And knowing that by the grace of God, I have determined that I'm going to confess it as sin, I'm going to ask for forgiveness of this sin, what it does is it slow, slow, slows me down. Because the first time in my life sometimes, I realize there's, there's a consequence to my speech. And I realize that I am holding myself accountable for my speech. And that's what this does. It's so important if you're in a position of power or authority, all of the relationships in your life are unequal in this regard. Who is going to approach you or me and address us related to this? If we don't become self-monitoring in this way biblically, then it will never be addressed in our lives. And it slows me down, and it makes me think before I speak, and it forces me to become more disciplined in my speech, which Solomon tells us is one of the great blessings in life. Now no longer using my speech primarily to harm people, But now I can get on with using it to help people, which will be the subject of our examination of Proverbs, God willing, next week. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer. Father, I can't speak for anyone else in this room but I can speak for myself and there is nothing of what Solomon has said in these Proverbs that I am not deeply and experientially very familiar with and very aware of the need for this kind of instruction and the wisdom for how to bring our speech this great privilege into a place in which it is no longer doing harm to people, but helping and blessing people. We thank you for this time in your word. Only you could know us um, so well as our creator that you could speak to this subject with such clarity and such insight. And we embrace it. And we ask, Lord, that our time in your word today would have long consequences in our life and bring needed changes to our life as needed in going forward. We pray that you would help us not to dismiss any of this instruction or to build narratives that protect us from this instruction. But Lord, to take these words and embrace them as the loving thing that we so desperately need to hear. Thank you for speaking it, Lord. 
Thank you for your determination to conform every part of our life into the image of Christ. Thank you for how far you have brought us in this area of our life. We ask that you continue to walk us strongly in that same direction. And we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.